Greetings, Sits and Sivs. You're monitoring episode four of the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. I'm Tony. I'm Lennon. And I'm Jeff. We're only going to say this a couple of more times, so pay attention. The Guard is a specific frequency that all aircraft and control towers should be monitoring constantly. If someone out there is having an in-flight emergency, they might send a mayday on that channel. Other pilots or towers in the area will answer back on that channel with instructions. And if you've run out of twiglets halfway to the Magnus system, you'll want help quickly. So this is where you can tune in and know that you're going to get help from the community. Or maybe you'll be there to help out a fellow citizen or civilian. If you want to get a feel for our style of broadcast, check out a few of our episodes over at our sister production, www.priorityonepodcast.com. We want to say a special hello to all of our Priority One listeners tuning in. This show will, of course, probably evolve in its own direction over time, but if you guys know us from Priority One, then you know that we like to deliver a quality show that's on time more often than British Rail, so we want to do the same here on Guard Frequency. To deliver those quality shows like Priority One and Guard Frequency, it takes the constant effort of a team of people to do what we do. And if you want to help out, we'll tell you how at the end of the show. And that'll cover the housekeeping, so let's get to it. What do we have this week, Lennon? This week we're going to hear about the maiden voyage of China's newest aircraft carrier before we get you caught up on all the latest news and happenings around the UEE in CIG News. In our new segment, Nuggets for Nuggets, we talk about ships. And finally, we tell all you folks how you can join our conversation and get in the feedback loop. So, let's see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Standby for broadcast, standby for broadcast. This is Lennon saying, welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. This is our segment where we'll bring you rumors, wishes, technology, oddities, and anything else that we feel is somehow remotely connected to Star Citizen and Squadron 42. This week, the end of a notable maiden voyage. I'm going to apologize in advance because we're talking about a Chinese aircraft carrier here, and as you might guess by my accent, Chinese isn't my first language, so I'm going to butcher these names constantly. There's also Russian in here too, so you're going to butcher that as well. There's Russian in here? I really should have read what I was reading. Yep. (laughs) Okay, so... The Chinese aircraft carrier Lioning completed her first operational voyage this week as the first aircraft carrier of the People's Liberation Army Navy. Yes, that is its proper name. The Lioning has a long and storied history. A 25-year history, in fact. That's right, the Lioning has been a maiden longer than most actual maidens stay maidenish. She started life as the Soviet Navy's aircraft-carrying heavy cruiser called Riga in 1988 and was rechristened Varyag in 1990. After the fall of the Soviet Union, she was laid up in dry dock in the Ukraine in 1992, completely seaworthy, except for her electronics. Over the next seven years, she was slowly stripped of her useful parts and basically left to rust until about 1998. Then, 
The Chonglot Tourist and Amusement Agency bought Variac as a floating luxury hotel and casino. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more. Actually, two other ex-Soviet carriers, the Kiev and the Minsk, had already been sold for the same reason. So imagine the world surprise when, after a three-year voyage from Minsk to Dalian province in China, and then another three years in dry dock, Variag shows up painted navy grey with landing stripes on the deck. From 2005 to 2012, Variag underwent additional refit and testing, and in September that year was rechristened the Lianang. She spent 2013 getting her air wing trained and running, and for the last 40 days or so, she's been cruising the South China Sea, nearly causing shipwrecks. Apparently, a US Navy ship tracking the Lianang went and crossed what the Chinese Navy are calling her inner defense perimeter, if you know what I mean. Well, maybe you don't know what I mean, because apparently the Americans didn't either. The Chinese and American ships were in international waters, doing the naval equivalent of just minding their own business. After receiving the nonsensical warning, the USS Cowpens, which Tony assures me is an actual name of a ship which was named after a disastrous battle in the Continental Colony War of tea stamps and sugar taxing, belligerently kept minding her own business. The Leoning's escort therefore parked itself right in the Cowpens path. Calpens had to come to a full stop in the middle of the ocean fewer than 500 yards from a collision. That's Chinese Navy 1, US Navy nil. That is a fascinating way to start life, isn't it? You, you know, you spend 25 years in dry dock and then, hey, let's just go cause a wreck in the middle of the sea. What do you say? I think the Russians would be proud that out of every ship that I they do. could have possibly targeted, the US Navy was apparently number one on this list. Well, now, I mean, the Navy isn't isn't all just, you know, like innocent roses here. I mean, they were like shadowing. They're like, just just watching you. Hey, man, hey, how's it going? Just watching you launch aircraft here. Just counting how many times you launch them and how quickly you can recover them. I can only presume that that's because the NSA can't spy on China because they got that big firewall. Yes, the great firewall of China. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yes, uh, well, not to mention the recent activity in the South China Sea with the whole defense perimeter thing. That yes, we the air defense through. identification zone that we sailed B-52 bombers right into right after they declared it. Yes, yes, that. Yeah. So this is China's way of saying, hi, when we make a big fence, we really mean it. And we're going to park ships in front of you to tell you that we think that this is our playground now. Go play somewhere else. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email over to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. And this week's crowdfunding update has us at uh, 35958000 I, I too many numbers. I'm going to call it again. $36 million. By the time we get this show out to you folks, you'll have another letter from the chairman. And there's just under 16,000 alpha slots left and over 350,000 registered users. Those alpha slots are going fast, people. If you have friends who are not in the game yet, get them in the game. And once again, we were treated to a lot more gorgeous eye candy with the most famous and infamous ships from Misk and Drake. These are the Cutlass and the Freelancer work in progress that have recently been released with over 64 pages of awesome concept art as well as glimpses of what could have been and the design decisions behind them. These shots are sure to satiate anyone with a hunger for more ship details. You can see these marvels of artwork over on the Robert Space Industries website or through the links in our show notes at cardfrequency.com. And LoreBuilder9 on the RSI site, they discussed squadron naming, and in episode 3 of Guard Frequency, we discussed the lack of details given. 
Well, they replied with Lore Builder 10, and this time, we can't accuse them of skimping on the details. As we previously reported, and as is usual with Lore Builder, they opened it up to the community. And they expanded the naming system to cover fleets, groups, and wings. Now, fleets are going to have a color associated with their purpose. For example, Red Fleet patrols the Vandal borders. Wings will use the phonetic alphabet to detail their purpose. And individual ships and groups will use numbers. So, putting it all together, you get a designation of R321-A-42-A31. Rolls off the tongue. Right. That's kind of a mouthful. The concept of fleet nicknames was also brought up. So, the 301st Squadron might be referred to as the Flying Leopards or something similar, which is reminiscent of the way modern military units like squadrons work. Confused? Yeah, I don't blame you. I still don't get it. But all these details and more can be found on the blog and RSI. Links are going to be in the show notes, of course. Jeff, have you seen anything like this naming convention and other space sims? Not as a hard, fast rule. Mostly in RP situations. Mm -hmm. In in Jumpgate, we played a military squadron, and as such, we had similar. I, I served in the Air Force, so I brought a lot of that with me when I ran that fleet. But you don't see these kind of rules set up like this in other space sims. Well, I mean, the lore builder column is supposed to be about flavor, you know, RP, I guess a little bit, you know, in-game immersion. But God, I hope, are they going to like tag your ship with something like that in, I, the, in the Squadron 42 game? From what I read, it was unclear if this was going to be the rule and that you would have to set this up, or if it was just a role-playing uh, mechanism. See, I'm more of the opinion that it's going to be a role-playing mechanism. I wouldn't be surprised if the NPC ships in the game are set up this way, but I think as playable ships, you know, they can't really enforce that because as part of it as well, you know, even though we might have done military service, we're certainly not part of any military organization. So I think for us as players to be designated a call sign or that sort of thing on that explicit level would kind of imply that you're part of an organization. You know, once if you just want to be a pirate or a trader or an explorer, I know that they still have ship registries and call signs and tail numbers, but that sort of thing just wouldn't really flow well, I don't think. It would translate well onto private so, citizens rather than right. military personnel. But in this, right, but in the Squadron 42 game, you know, you're going to be part of, I guess, Squadron 42. So are they going to have these things floating around your HUD? Like, if, is, are all of your wingmen going to be designated R321-A-42-A32, 33, 34? I'd rather have, like, you know, Joker, you know, or Bob, or, you know, Sidewinder, you know, my, my wingman's name. That's going to be a lot easier to keep track of. I agree. I think all speculation at this point. I don't don't think this is going to work in a practical sense. Right, but if they introduce other characters that they haven't detailed yet, it could well be, you know, like we see in sci-fi programs all the time. So in, say, for example, Battlestar Galactica, you had the Pegasus turn up, and that had a completely different designation. In Squadron 42, yeah, you might be part of your your carrier that you're part of in Squadron 42, but there could be references to other ships. You might get a Mayday, and you might have to go and investigate some other ship, and they might have a completely different designation based on the system. I don't think that it would be something, though, that they would, like, you know, ram down your throats, like I said, but it wouldn't surprise me if that this level of detail was included in some way. So our first community question, what do you think of the Alphabet Soup Squadron titles? Do you even care, as long as you have an in-game handle of your choice? Do your friends already have an embarrassing nickname for you? Let us know on our show post on robertspaceindustries.com or below this week's show notes on guardfrequency.com. And in the latest Galactic Guide, we get taken on a whirlwind tour of Magnus. Magnus on the edge of the unknown. 
Or so reads the government's local standard travel brochure. In truth, the phrase better describes Magnus a century ago. Recent decades have seen increasing settlement and overall civilization in a system that considers itself the unofficial capital of human frontier culture. So, first discovered in 2499, Magnus was a small, entirely undistinguished system. Three planets orbiting a rather crappy star, but by a lot of hard work and a little bit of terraforming, the planets have been transformed from a barren wasteland into a barren frontier planet. Since the UEE abandoned the shipbuilding facilities on Magnus II, vast tracts of empty warehouses and rusting construction yards have been modernised and returned to life, building cutlasses and caterpillars. That's, you know, the ship types, not the swords and the insects. That would be weird. Gangs are a serious problem in the city, and squatters have claimed the rights to many of the former UEE facilities buildings. The result is an interesting place to hunt for questionably legal ship repairs and upgrades. So, this really does sound like the place for you if you like to live outside the long arm of the law. Or, you know, it could be a good hunting ground for those of you who have a bit of a Boba Fett bounty hunter complex. Either way, be sure to check out the full details over on the RSI website or through the links in our show notes. In an update to the next great starship, we're introduced to our final judge as the deadline draws near. By the time this episode airs, entries will no longer be accepted. However, that means that the community is about to be called to action. Starting in early January, so fairly soon, we'll be able to vote on what we think should be the next great starship with the winning design teams being awarded 30,000 US or about 20,000 pounds sterling. We will let you know when the voting is open. Be sure to keep one eye on the RSI website and one ear on the guard. And as this is our first show of 2014, it wouldn't be complete without a look back over our predictions made in 2013 to see exactly what we said. Yeah, exactly. Oh no, we forgot. I forgot this show's only four episodes old. You did? Well, this was Only a four? stupid segment to put in then, wasn't it, Tony? God. But we're, we won't hold it against you. I will, oh, but good. collectively we won't, so <laughs> it's fine. But what better way to start out the year than a 2014 predictions, which we can review in 2015 to see if we were actually right or to see how hilariously wrong we were. So, gentlemen, do either of you have a prediction that you want to kick off with? I have a prediction. I think that the uh, dogfighting module will come out very soon, probably late February, and that other modules will certainly follow very closely behind. So come December 2014, we will have had the dogfighting module, the hangar. What else do you see coming out? I think we'll see some trade module maybe. Uh, Probably they want to test the economy. And by the end of 2014, we'll we'll be talking beta. Wow, really? Well, I, I'm going to, I'll tell you what, Let's. Let, this is good. This just got interesting. I'm going to kind of go the other direction. I'm going to agree with Jeff that dogfighting probably the end of February, but I'm going to say that 2014 is going to be a real test of the faith of this community. I think that there's going to be a humongous problem. I don't know where that's going to come. I'm not going to be that bold in my predictions, but I think there's going to be a humongous problem sometime in mid to late 2014 that's going to require an additional extension of time. Like, like Jeff was pointing out, the economy is not going to work right. Uh, someone's going to find a way to exploit whatever trading system they have, and it's going to require a major rethink. But I think there's going to be a test. I think there's going to be a test in mid to late 2014 of everyone's faith. I'm afraid that, unfortunately, I'm with Tony on this one. My prediction that I was going to give was pretty much very similar in that I think we'll get the dogfighting alpha pretty soon. I think that the dogfighting alpha will then continue to be updated in much the same way that the hangar is, and in mid to late 2014, there will be something that will force the delay of 
either the issue of a beta or the issue of further modules in a sort of similar way to how we had the dogfighting alpha delayed i think we're going to see a bit of a knock-on effect from that and it will snowball and build up i will also go one stage further in that this is possibly a prediction for 2015 but i'm going to cement it here to say that we were the exclusive on this i think that there will end up being some sort of delay so that we will see the release of squadron 42 but a delayed release of Star Citizen. Now, whether we Ooh. get the Squadron 42 beta by the end of the year as a peace offering for the delay of a beta for Star Citizen, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that. Oh, I like that. I like that. But I... I, I should... didn't say what beta. I just said that we'd be close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he's crawfishing on us. I was going to oh, say. Up, no, I'm not hedging. <laughs> I, I think... I personally think a lot of the single-player code is probably in place. I think their focus is really on the multiplayer aspects of the game and, and that the single-player code base is just what it is. It's just uh, what they're building yeah, on. Cry engine. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing to bear in mind is that certainly the majority of the game that I'm interested in is the persistent universe, the Star Citizen. I mean, Squadron 42 will be fun to play. I've been wanting a sequel to Wing Commander for God knows how long now. Yeah. But Star Citizen is really what has caught my attention and roped me in slowly that's the bit that i'm really looking forward to but i think that we also as a community like tony said it's going to be a test of faith because i think everybody at the moment that isn't involved in the community is a bit of a naysayer in saying oh well you're paying all this money for a game that isn't out yet what if it's never released and so on whereas we're right now we're saying things like no it'll be released it's a massively ambitious project but chris roberts can deliver on it and then i think a little bit later down the line when we're going to have this test of faith there's going to be a lot of people who are like well this is a massively ambitious project and it's like well that's you know that's what got you into it in the first place was that it was so ambitious now all of a sudden because you're on the negative side it's it's like too ambitious and yeah. what the heck is he doing he needs to rope it in but i i truly believe that at the end result this studio can deliver what they promise on i just again like i said i think that there will be delays that will knock on and so we will see the release of squadron 42 without star citizen initially well if you look at games that we've been disappointed by that have been in development like battletech 3025 jump gate evolution i think we get scarred over time and we the hardcore gamers especially in this genre have been just abused Abused, yeah, I guess that's the best way of putting it. Well, speaking of things that are too ambitious, we uh, had a column over at MMORPG.com. Nellie Johnson contributes a piece entitled Commoditizing the Development Process. Apparently, Cloud Imperium is taking in a lot of money and they have not delivered a game yet. Have, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? <laughs> We've had Simon Ludgate on recently and he had some things to say on the subject as well. So let's hash this out. Jeff, how much money is too much money to make a game? Well, I don't know that there's too much money to make a game. I think there's a process of generating that money that might be a little bit overkill. If you look at what's been happening with the crowdfunding thing, the stuff that's been going on, there's another game out there, another space sim called Elite. And if any of you space simmers are real space simmers, you'll know when I talk about Elite. That is now also in development by one of the original people who developed Elite back in the 1980s. And they're doing fine with uh, a couple of million dollars. $36 million is a lot of money, and we're not seeing a lot of return for that. But at the same time, they are hiring staff, they are putting up offices, they are buying equipment. So a lot of people are feeling, from the comments I was reading on that article, a lot of people are feeling a little bit jilted, and I can understand those feelings very well. 
So, Lennon, you brought that elite game to our attention uh, earlier this week uh, here at the Card Frequency staff meeting or whatever we have to make this show. Uh, so what's the difference between elite and star citizen? Why does uh, elite get funded to the tune of two million pounds, whatever that is, and uh, Chris Roberts get funded to the tune of $36 million, you know, real money? Well, the Elite games kind of came out at roughly the same time as the Wing Commander games very first came out, but there were a lot more Wing Commander games, and you know, certainly from what I'm able to, to tell, they were a lot more popular than the Elite series was. Now, I'm not going to sit here and just rag on the Elite series, because I've honestly not played it enough to really have an opinion on it, but I think that what they're trying to do is a, is a much smaller scale version of what Chris Roberts is trying to do, and I think that by promising such massively expanded massively advanced universe that contains literally there's not one type of sci-fi gamer that I think that Star Citizen hasn't appealed to yet because if you want to do the pirating you've got that if you want to do exploring you've got that if you want to take part in just the military you can do that as well so firstly it's just the the smaller scale of it I think and secondly again Chris Roberts has a name he is just one of those names that you recognize he's just as famous as any other names that you care to mention so Richard Garriott for example mm-hmm. Lord British as he's otherwise known whatever um, <laughs> if you, you see certain names like this and they just stand out and you know you're going to get a quality game from them whereas with Elite I, I always feel that you hear more about the team behind Elite as opposed to one particular person that's named whereas when they can just say what's a Star Citizen game oh, it's a Chris Roberts game. You just you instantly have a set of expectations and you know that they can deliver on that based on their previous games. So, Jeff, is it a name or is it the game? It's the game. It really is. I feel like I have to educate Lennon a little bit, but Please Elite do. originally appeared on the scene in 1984, but it was the basis for every Space Kim since then. Even Chris Roberts himself said early on in The Wing Commander, which came out in 1990, so there's a span of six years, that a lot of his games like uh, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter and that kind of stuff was built from the premise of what Elite came out on. So it really is a lot of space simmers. Remember those early days. They're old guys like me. They want to, you know, get out of their chairs and into space. And it really is about the game. Both of those are thoroughbred games. And I think a lot of them will be driven. A lot of people will play both of them. Uh, From what I understand, the computational underpinning of Star Citizen and Squadron 42 is terribly, terribly complex. The pipes system, transferring data and power, the economy, which is going to have a variety of inputs that have to be put into other inputs that have to be put into other inputs that finally make a manufactured good. I mean, uh, my understanding is that the amount of under-the-hood stuff on Star Citizen is a lot bigger than on Elite, which is going to be more based on a simpler trading system. If you're, Whatever trades you're going to be doing are going to be handled like in a one-stage uh, clearinghouse kind of a system. Yeah, exactly. And this is what I was referring to when I meant on a smaller scale. It's like you still have all of those parts in Elite from from what I can see. Admittedly, I haven't signed up and I haven't played it, but it just seems to be on a much smaller scale. So, yeah, they don't have as many pipelines and they're not being as adventurous with, say, ship damage and, you know, various pieces like that. Well, if they're looking for an Eve type economy that's totally player driven I think they're going to get some pushback because a lot of reasons why there's not a lot of people playing Eve is the fact that the economy is so hard to wrap your head around from manufacturing to trade it is just difficult it really takes a hardcore player to make a lot of money in Eve and if that's what the economy is going to be based on they're going to lose a lot of players 
Well, that's our second community question. How much money is too much money, whether in the game or just making a game? Let us know on our show post on robertspaceindustries.com or below this week's show notes on guardfrequency.com. And with the latest updates from the CIG News done, let's get down to basics with our new segment, Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets! Hello, sits and sieves, and welcome to our new segment called Nuggets for Nuggets. So, what's in a name? Well, a nugget, as well as being a small, bite-sized piece of information, is also the name of a trainee pilot, so we thought it went well together. This is our section of the show where we delve into the mechanics of Star Citizen and give you the gory details from the inside out. As the game is still in active development though, all the information given is subject to change, but we will revisit sections in the future to bring you up to speed. This week's topic? Ships. Well. Not every ship, that would be a bit ridiculous. Instead, we're going to broach this topic by giving a rather high-level overview of each of the ship types, which should give you an idea of what type of player they'll appeal to. And then we're going to hand the reins over to you. You can vote on our show's post over at guardfrequency.com for what ship you would like us to talk about next in a lot more detail. So, as a rough overview, there are 13 ships that have been revealed so far that will be flyable by the citizens and civilians of the Star Citizen universe. A few unique odd ones have also been given away in competitions, but as you're not likely to be picking those up anytime soon, we're going to skip over them for now. So, what can you get? Well, to start with, there's the Aurora from Robert Space Industries. This is the base ship for most people entering Star Citizen. It's light, it's maneuverable, and one of the advantages is you can switch equipment. It's interchangeable between the Constellation and the Aurora, which is why a lot of Connie owners have also brought Auroras. Next up, the Avenger from Aegis Dynamics. It's the first ship that you'll be flying in Squadron 42. Kind of more reminiscent of an atmospheric spacecraft than a space spacecraft. It's somewhere between a fighter and a cargo ship. Then, the 300 series by Origin Jumpworks. Very fast, very sleek. It's kind of the Lincoln, BMW, Mercedes-Benz level of spacecraft. It's luxury, but affordable luxury. Next up we have the Hornet from Anvil Aerospace. This is the UEE Navy's basic military fighter. Not much cargo space, but then again you don't need cargo space when you're blowing crap out of the sky, and there are lots of variants for this type of ship. Links of course will be in the show notes. Next up we have my personal favourite, the Freelancer from Musashi Industrial and Starflight Concern, otherwise known as MISC. Basically, if you're looking for a good ship that's got plenty of cargo space that you can haul around the universe, do a bit of exploring, in the odd bit of salvaging, this is probably the ship for you. It can be crewed by up to two people, one of which can be in the second gun turret, and the first being obviously the primary pilot. Next up, the Constellation from Robert Space Industries. Known as the Connie on the forums, this ship is definitely the most flexible design. You can load it out with sensors, you can load it out with missiles, with guns, with weaponry, whatever you like. So this is really a very jack-of-all-trades ship. If you want it to fit a particular role, you can probably find it, whether that's a miner, a fighter, a hauler, or whoever knows what. Strangely, it's classed as a small craft, despite the fact it has, in itself, a small craft that it can launch, the P-52 Merlin. So effectively, you're getting two ships for the price of one. This ship can be manned by up to four people. Obviously, one can be in the Merlin, and the other three can be on gun turrets, piloting, and so forth. Next up, the Gladiator Bomber by Anvil Aerospace. This is a civilian version of the UEE Navy's primary carrier-based bomber. It can be used for both bombs and torpedoes, and it's tuned for ship-to-ship combat. That said, the bomb racks can be removed to make room for cargo, and the rear turret can also be replaced with a rear tractor beam for salvage operations. 
Next, the M50 from Origin Jumpworks. This is really the Ferrari of the ships. It's an interceptor or a racer, and it is quoted as being able to be the fastest ship in the galaxy once she's been upgraded for speed. She may not be much to look at, kid, but she's got it where it counts. Next, the Starfarer from Misk. It's built as a fuel transporter and we haven't really been given much details on how fuel transportation will work and it's certainly an interesting mechanic but chances are like most of the other ships you will be able to swap out components to make it fit any role in the game the only thing that we really know about this ship is that it definitely won't be a fighter it will definitely be more of your cargo hauler or fuel tanker the tanks in the concept art can be swapped out for cargo boxes so we know that that is definitely going to be happening but again you won't be blowing anything out of the sky anytime soon Next up, the Retaliator by Aegis Dynamics. This is the UEE Navy's heavy bomber. Too large to fly off of anything but a Bengal-class carrier or fixed to a planet-slash-station installation. It has a very distinctive tank and it excels at dealing damage. For civilian use, internal firepower has been removed and replaced with a cargo bay, so a lot of them can be refitted as long-distance haulers. Next up, the Cutlass by Drake Interplanetary. This is the favoured ship of the pirate class. It was produced and sold to local militias as a point defence and rescue ship, but like all Drake designs, it's really designed for piracy. Next up in the Drake line is the Caterpillar, which is often described as the evil twin of the Freelancer. The Caterpillar is quite a different breed though. It's about 20% bigger than the Freelancer, it's a lot more heavily armoured, but it does have a modular design which makes it quite flexible and it's a favourite choice of pirates. It can often be seen trailing formations of the Cutlass ships in order to carry out boarding missions and help transport pirated cargo. You'll probably never find one alone, but if you do, then chances are its friends will be hidden very nearby. And last up in the list that we are going to cover today is the Idris-class corvette from Aegis Dynamics. These ships themselves are interesting in that they have the ability to hold three smaller ships themselves of Hornet size or smaller in their launch bay. There's a bit of disagreement at the moment as to whether the Idris is going to be classed as a capital ship and therefore something you can't put in your hangar, so it's going to have to reside in open space 24-7, but this will surely be a favourite of the squadrons. To answer a common question that comes up on the forums a lot, there are two variants of the Idris, the Idris P and the Idris M, the M being the military version. If you buy an Idris P, you will be able to upgrade it to an Idris M, but the guns to upgrade it and the mounts are going to be very expensive and hard to find because they can only be salvaged from an Idris M, so you'll likely only find those at pirated stations. So, Sits and Sivs, that's a very brief roundup of all the ship types and what you can expect to be flying from them. As the game is in development, there are a lot of unknowns at the moment, but we can provide links to all of these different ship types so you can have a real in-depth read over them yourself. And once again, we want to know what you think. Which ship should we talk about next and go more in-depth and give you as many stats as we're able to find? Let us know by voting on our post over at GuardFrequency.com. But for now, let's see what you've all been saying and get into the feedback loop. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! And from our show post over at GuardFrequency.com, we hear from the Grand Negus. Hi guys, and thanks for another great episode. I just wanted a tiny bit of clarification on something you said last time. I had asked if you guys would consider doing a, quote, what we know so far type episode to catch everybody up on the game's features and lore, and the response on the show was unclear. Was that a, yeah, we'll do that, and in the meantime, here's a cool website, or... No thanks, but here's a cool website instead. Just wanted to make sure I understood correctly, sticky-outy tongue face. 
Well, Mr. Nagus, if you've uh, been listening, we have the Nuggets for Nuggets section, and Mr. Rich just went down a long list of all the ships in the game. Look forward to more segments like that, but I don't think we're going to devote an entire show or series of shows, quite frankly, for as much lore and background as this game has already generated on catching people up. You'll just have to listen every week to our lovely voices. <laughs> oh, sorry. Is that live? I forgot. Yeah, that's on the recording. Oh, dang. Okay. Well, let's just move on then. And via the robertspaceindustries.com forums, Kaelon Cree says, Nice work. I listened to episode two yesterday and I'm impressed. Very good quality overall. Let's keep it coming. Well, if you keep listening, we'll keep coming. And uh, whilst you're out there, you know, tell your friends. Let them know. Do we deserve an attaboy? Should we try Pig Latin? Let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at www.guardfrequency.com. And now you can subscribe to us at feeds.guardfrequency.com or find us on iTunes. Hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak. That's G-U-A-R-D-F-R-E-Q. Leave a comment and like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash guardfreak spelled the same way. And if you're old and doddering like us and can't figure out these wacky new social things, just email us. Squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And just before we disappear, we want to give a special shout out to all of our new Twitter followers. Jewel underscore thief underscore ATX. Terry Lynn S, Madwolf underscore STO, the underscore Don underscore Burrito, and Master T Chala. Thanks for following us, you guys. And that brings us to the end of episode four of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode five on January 14th for those of us that use the American calendar. Please send us your feedback about the show. Hit up our website, guardfrequency.com, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash guardfreak, our Twitter, at guardfreak, our email, squawk, at guardfrequency.com. We've also got a contact form at the top of our website that you can use to get in touch with us or visit our show's forum threads over at robertspaceindustries.com. All the details for all of the ways you can get in touch with us will be in the show notes. You like what we do here? Want to join our team and flex your podcasting muscle? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you're looking for a friendly wingman or two, check out our organization thread over at robertspaceindustries.com, Guard Frequency Response. A link to our recruitment thread will be in the show notes. We want to thank the entire team over at Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions. Special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit www.ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. And we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Return to 330, carrot 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard. I'm going to apologize in advance because we're talking about a Chinese aircraft carrier here and as you might guess by my accent Chinese isn't my first language so I'm going to butcher these names constantly there's also Russian in here too so you're going to butcher that as well there's Russian in here I really should have yeah. read what I was reading yep <laughs> okay so the Chinese aircraft carrier Lia oh, god I f***ed up already Liaoning Liaoning we'll go with that and just before we disappear we want to give a special shout out to all of our new Twitter followers 
Uh, they all begin with that, so I won't bother with that bit. But Jewel Thief, ATX, Terry Lynn S, Mad Wolf. Hi, Terry Lynn. Shh, you're ruining my flow. Oh, you have flow? No. I didn't know they had that in Britain. I, we, we, well, we do. It's just flow and then hit the banks and then burst and then we're underwater. So ah. uh, Mad Wolf underscore Stowe. Hi, Mad Wolf. Underscore, <laughs> God. <laughs> 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 uh, delete that that's my ed- that's editing sound okay cool that, that's good radio for you people's liberation army navy yes that is its proper name the leoning the lioning leoning 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 apparently a u.s navy ship tracking the leoning apparently a u.s navy Apparently, a U.S. Navy ship <laughs> ship tracking ship tracking. Apparently, Apparently a U.S. A Navy, Navy ship, ship tracking, tracking the Aleoning. And and then they uh, then it just doesn't make any sense because I edited what? some more and didn't change the transition. <laughs>